As I said, we are not going to be doing Psalm 43 this morning because God intersected with me. Excuse me, Isaiah 43. Because God intersected with me and has given me a new direction that it's just been burning my heart. I was listening, I was reading um, on Facebook, there's a group page called I'm a Nazarene Too. And these are people who are Nazarene by faith tradition, but aren't necessarily traditional Nazarenes in their worldview and in their way of relating to the world. And so they have this webpage that there's a, there's a struggle for these folks because they feel like they're not welcome in their own denomination. And it's sad. So this is a place for them to voice their concerns about just stuff. Well, if you haven't watched the news this week, or if you haven't listened to the radio this week, let me tell you that over the last seven days in the United States of America, there's this huge uproar over the fact that we've had a change of administration. And the change of administration means that the new executive that's in the presidency is taking actions that there are a lot of people that are really frustrated and upset about. And he's doing it in a very methodical way. He said very clearly when he was campaigning, these are the things I'm going to be working on. And all of a sudden, now it's happening, and it's like, forgive the expression, all hell is breaking loose. And as I have been reading these blogs on online, talking with fellow ministers, um, and then this Nazarene website, I mean the Nazarene group that I was telling you about, there's this sense of that it's almost a spiritual attack, that there's this, there's this, there's this agent of the enemy who has had a stronghold over the United States for years, and all of a sudden, it's going crazy trying to stir up the hearts of every single human being, causing chaos everywhere you turn. And let me give you an example of what happened. On January 25th, I believe it was, President uh, Trump signed an executive order dealing with immigration. It was in, it enacted, it went into effect, and all of a sudden, if you watch the news, thousands of people stood in the streets outside of JFK Airport in New York, chanting, screaming their vehement vehemence against this executive order. And what it was, and I'll explain in a minute what this is all about, but it's like there's almost rioting in the streets because the president has changed policy. You know what? I, I see, again, I said, I see this as a spiritual thing. And I, I, I thought about it honestly, as I, was, I had shared with, with my intercessor yesterday. I said, you know, I'm just not sure if this is something I need to talk about up here in Two Rivers, Alaska. Because it doesn't impact my life, does it? How does it impact my life? Who do I know that has ever dealt with immigration and naturalization services and not had a green card? Do I know anybody? Now, I'm not about to mention a name because this is being recorded for all of posterity. But think about, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, who has led worship in this service, in this church, who struggled with immigration naturalization services and almost got deported. So even up here in Fairbanks, Alaska, there are people that we know or may already know about that this is significantly impacting their lives. 
And the reality is, folks, you're the light of the world. It is your responsibility to carry the truth of the gospel out into the world. And what that means is, not just, I'm saved and you can be too. If you just ask Jesus into your heart and confess your sins, you too can be a Christian. I said it, now you have to pray. Okay? Yes, that is part of what it means to be a Christian. But the other part is, you have to be able to, in an intelligent and intelligible way, express your worldview. How do you choose to live with the, the filter of being a Christian? How do you live in this world? How do you respond to the things going on around you? How do you engage intelligently in good conversation that, to, to other people that you come in contact with, but in a way that honors Christ, but still shows that you've been thoughtful about what's going on in the world and how you interact with it? So what I thought about this the, yesterday, literally, as, it, as this was going on, I was like, God, this is a lot of stuff for me to, to, to kind of grasp and understand. But literally, I spent hours yesterday online reading and studying so that I could articulate for you this morning in a way that hopefully you'll be able to um, hold on to this recording. This is being recorded, and there are going to be slides with a bunch of scriptures that I'm not even going to reference. So take your cameras out and start taking pictures of the screen. Um, but the reality is, this is something that I really truly believe you're going to have an opportunity this week to help someone else come to an understanding of what it means to be a Christian in this world environment and how we can respond appropriately through our worldview in a way that is honoring to God and shows honoring to the people around us. So, the title is, What is a Christian to Do? The, the topic is, an executive order was published, and the title is right there, Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry in the United States. So this executive order was, was produced by the president and his team. It was signed into law. Now, again, we understand laws are different from executive orders, but the reality is, when the, when the, when the president says, thus and such must happen, thus and such must happen. And so he has given specific orders. And I have read through this entire executive order twice. And I have read other commentaries on it. So I think I, get a, I got a good understanding. I even went back and read some of the laws that were part of the basis for this executive order. And I think I have a good grasp of what this says. And if I don't, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll go do more research. But what does this executive order basically say? Number one, it says that from... 25th of January, 2017, for 120 days, there is a ban on anyone coming into the United States through the immigration, refugee, naturalization, any of those programs at all, because the president and his cabinet feel that there is not adequate screening processes in place. And so the president has directed that the director of the, the secretary of the state the Director of Homeland Security and the Attorney General get together and make sure that we have a solid screening process in place before we let anybody else into the country. And so there's a 120-day ban. No one comes in, period, because we're going to stop everything so that we can make sure that it's right. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, and I don't know how to, to really make it palatable because I, the example I was thinking of, people would say, well, yeah, but you're talking about human beings here, not objects. But think about this. If 
you were the, uh, the, the owner of a company that made refrigerators. And you had a plant that had a process that they put together these refrigerators and then packaged them up and sent them out to, the, to be sold in stores. And you discovered that there was a problem with the process of assembling the refrigerators such that these refrigerators were getting out into the streets and literally could explode and all of the, the freon gas or whatever it is that they now use in the refrigerators would poison people. Wouldn't you stop production immediately? Then find out how to fix what the problem is. And then once you have the problem fixed, then start up your production again. And yes, there would be a time, a period of time, where you couldn't make refrigerators anymore until you got the problem fixed. But once you got the problem fixed, you could safely say to the community, I no longer have the problem of blowing up refrigerators. They are safe now. You can take them into your home and know that they're not going to cause you any harm. That is the way I see this ban happening. The president has said there is something wrong with the way we screen. And so in order to fix it, we got to stop anybody coming in for four months until we can get a good situation in place where we know that we have got a solid screening. In addition to that, there's a 90-day ban on anybody coming from seven countries. Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. Okay? And again, how in the world does this impact my life? I can't say it online because it's going out to the internet, but I know of a pastor here in Alaska who is training Sudanese ministers and sending them back to Sudan. To do what, you say? Well, think about it. What would somebody be trained in the gospel of Jesus Christ and then sent back to a predominantly Muslim country be doing? We can't talk about it, but because of this 90-day ban, it's affecting my friend and the ministry that he's doing here in Alaska. But what this is, and I don't have time this morning to go into this, but there's a specific, a specific part of the law that says the Secretary of State and the Department, Director of the Department of Homeland Security has the right to say any country where there's a potential problem for terrorism, uh, terrorist people to come in um, can be put on this ban list. These seven nations have been identified as potential sources of terrorism by the Department of Homeland Security, by the Secretary of State, and so this 90-day ban is in place. No one from those countries comes in. In addition to that, there is a permanent ban on anyone from Syria. And guess what? That was in place for the last five years. It's been in place since 2011. But oh my goodness, the president just stopped everyone from Syria. There's a war going on in Syria. Don't you understand that? All those people are refugees, these children and these women. And what are we going to do with them? Well, it's been going on for uh, almost six years, folks. When were, why weren't you yelling and screaming five years ago? But it is part of this ban. And then finally, because when the ban happened on the 25th, there were people who had already processed through the present screening process 
and been given a green light to come to the United States and bought their tickets and literally got on planes only to be stopped at the airport customs and immigrations office and told, you can't come into the country. So, I mean, we're not talking thousands of people. We're talking tens of people, maybe scores of people, maybe a hundred. I'm not sure the full number. They haven't got those numbers released yet. But there are some people that got caught in that pipeline. And so these crowds that are standing outside of these airports are screaming bloody murder because it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. And the ACLU has finally put out a lawsuit in U.S. federal court saying this has to be stopped. But what they're saying has to be stopped is the deportation of the people who are already duly processed and had already gotten their tickets and had already come to our soil. Let them in. Don't send them back. That's what the lawsuit says. The lawsuit is not saying stop the 120-day process, stop the 90-day process, stop the stopping people coming from Syria. The lawsuit says let these people go. They've already gotten here. And the judge is going to be deciding it in the next week or so. And while, it's, while they're waiting, there are people being held. Okay, So that's what's going on in our world today. That's what's going on in our world. What are we supposed to do about it? We're Christians. We have, we're citizens of the United States, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. So how do we respond? Well, the Free Methodist Church put out this statement. The state is charged with protecting the citizens' economic interest. The church is charged with protecting all people's economic interests. We're not worried about whether they're citizens or not. We're worried about the fact that they're children of God who need to be cared for, loved, shown compassion. The Wesleyan Church, which is a sister denomination to our church, put out a statement that I'm quoting from now, and it says, While respecting those whom God has ordained to govern and protect society, and submitting to their authority, so long as it doesn't violate the laws of God, we are the Lord's voice to speak out prophetically against injustice and unrighteousness toward the weak. Now, hear what they're saying. We honor, we respect the fact that God has put certain people in place to govern our country so that they can protect our country. What did the President of the United States do two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? He stood up and he said, I swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States and I will protect it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, that's what this is about. He's trying to protect the citizens of the United States and the Constitution of the United States by taking action. What the Wesleyan Church is saying is we honor that. We don't have a problem with our president doing what he swore he was going to do. But what we do say is that we are going to be a prophetic voice whenever there's injustice or unrighteousness being taken against people who are weak. And I think that's a solid Christian response. I could support that biblically. Later on in that same paper, they said, we must treat all persons with dignity, including those who have entered the country illegally or who entered legally but are now out of statute, out of status with immigration authorities. You see, and this is where Machos got stepped on. Because Bob Sugden, not Pastor Bob, but Bob Sugden, the Pharisee, they broke the law, they should be sent back. They broke the law, who cares about the children that are with them? They broke the law, 
And as I was reading this and meditating on it and thinking about it, I was like, God forgive me. Because I don't have the heart of Christ on this. I really don't. I'm needing to to sort this through for myself. Because what does compassion mean? Even if they're not your friend, even if they're your enemy, they still need to be taken care of and they still need to be loved and they still need to be cared for. And if they're weak, they need to be ministered to. If they're sick, if, if their family's been destroyed, if they've been separated. And then the image in my mind that God brought to me was that little boy down in Florida years ago who was an illegal immigrant from Cuba. And they literally came in with, with M16s and ripped him out of the arms of his family to send him back because he was illegal. Now, yes, letter of the law, it needed to, be, it needed to happen. But from a Christian perspective, did it need to happen that way? Hmm. Just really, there's this, there's this hard balance here for me. So I wanted to show you, share with you something that I found from the Wesleyan Church. I love it. And it speaks to me. It's long. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I do want to share with you these ideas. Again, take your pictures of the, of the slides, or you can talk to me afterwards and I can give you copies of everything. But in this paper that the Wesleyans put out about immigration, they wrote about kingdom values regarding Christian and Christians and immigration, specifically talking about eight biblical principles to guide the Wesleyan response. And even though we're not Wesleyans, we are Nazarenes, Wesleyan Church and the Nazarene Church are sisters. And we, we are almost identical in all ways, including our theology and our philosophy and everything. So even though it says Wesleyan, you can just as easily punch in Nazarene there and it would work. First of all, they say there's the creation principle. The creation principle is that all human beings were created by God. And as a result, we are all equally loved and cared for by God. So what does that mean to me as a Christian? It means any action that I take in regard to immigration or refugees is that I need to have humane and dignified treatment of all people, regardless of their legal status. I need to make sure that I uphold, encourage, practice humane and dignified treatment of every human being. End of discussion. The great commandment principle. This is simply love your neighbor as you love yourself. I don't need to tell you the action because it's pretty sane, pretty simple. In any way and in every way, Love your neighbor in whatever way is necessary. The sovereignty principle. God determines when and where people will live. Think about this. If we say that we believe that God orders our lives, then that means God orders the lives of all human beings. And the Holy Spirit of God can prompt even non-Christians to do certain things or go certain places with the intent of getting them to know Jesus as their personal Savior. So if God has prompted someone to come to our nation seeking economic advantage or refuge because of, uh, of, of harsh treatment, 
is it not possible for us to see it as God ordaining this for them with the ultimate purpose of them coming to know Jesus? Because maybe they would never have the opportunity to hear the gospel in their own country, but by coming here they can. And once they know Jesus and then can have truly travel, freely travel back and forth between the countries, they can be ambassadors for Christ to their own people. Our response and our responsibility should be to recognize that God's hand is at work and we should do everything in our power to cooperate with that as we, as we expect the kingdom of heaven on earth to be built. So, how do you deal with that when somebody gets caught in the back of a van coming over the Mexican border? If you're the Christian border patrol agent, you still got to do your job. But maybe you don't treat them as, as rough or as mean-spirited. Maybe you show them love and compassion and give them water and help them to be comfortable while you still have to do your job. I don't know. I know in my case, speaking about the person that I spoke of earlier that was incarcerated because they were in trouble with the INS, I was able to minister to their family and to them while they were being held down in, in a part of our state. And it was tough. It went beyond my my thing, but I had to just understand that God is in control, and I just had to trust that God was working through this. I didn't understand it. I still don't necessarily understand all of it, but I just had to trust that God was in control. The next principle that the Wesleyans put out is the submission principle. Again, this is recognizing that we are dual citizenship people. We are Christians first, but we are also citizens of the country in which we live. And as a result, we have two sets of laws that we need to follow. And the only time that there should ever be a problem is when the human law violates God's law. And then we have a moral responsibility and duty to seek change of the earthly law and to act so as to maintain a clear conscience before God. And that statement I have highlighted with multiple stars. Let me read it one more time. Christians have a moral duty and right to seek a change in the earthly law and to act so as to maintain a clear conscience before God. See, with this, I have been struggling as I've been reading these things on, online and talking with people and challenging people in, you know, in conversation over this last week. I have, I've really struggled with, well, why in the world are you fighting against the laws of our land? But the reality is, based on this submission principle, this idea of dual citizenship, if they, in their heart of hearts, sense that this is violating a principle of their faith, they have every right to go to their lawmakers and say, I disagree with what's happening and let me share with you why. They need to do it respectfully, but they have every right, as long as they maintain a clear conscience before God. That was... I don't want to say eye-opening because it wasn't new information, but it was, it was something that really hit me this week, this idea of recognizing that as a Christian, I need to take responsibility for standing up and fighting against injustice when I find it. The other principle, the next principle, number five, is hospitality principle. Christ's love compels us to be kind and compassionate and to offer hospitality, especially to those who are in need including strangers, widows, orphans, aliens, and immigrants, regardless of their legal status. 
And with the exception of that, regardless of their legal status, that pretty much was a was a was a almost quote from the Bible. And so again, I need to show compassion, show love, welcome. I mean, that's kind of hard. You came into my country illegally. I didn't. You, I've known plenty of people who went through the process the right way. Why did you get special privileges? Love it, but. I'm not the one administering the law. I'm not the one writing the law. I'm the Christian who needs to respond to these people as human beings who God loves. And I need to show them love and compassion and welcome as a Christian. And so I need to somehow, someway, find ways to act kindly to them. To show compassion to them. There's also the Great Commission principle. This is number six. We have been we are been made disciples so that we can make disciples. Jesus told us we need to do so. So as these people are coming into our country, it's a great opportunity for you to be a missionary without ever having to go overseas. The next one, the seventh of the eighth, grace principle. Who do you think you are? You're a sinner saved by grace. Is there any sin greater than another in God's eyes, or are all sins equal? If you're guilty of breaking one, one part of the law, aren't you guilty of breaking all parts of the law? So according to God's grace and mercy, you've been received. Who are you to think differently about anybody else's sin? That one was a slap in the face, too. This is another statement that they had in there, and I, I kind of talk about the grace principle. We need to seek to have a welcoming heart to those that are strangers in our land, showing them acts of kindness, doing our part to understand their culture, and to better serve them through God's love. I need to understand their culture, their ideas, their worldview. Have you ever... Have you ever heard the person say, you come to America now, buddy, you need to learn to speak English. This is America. We don't do it that way here. The Christian response is, I need to understand why this is important to you and why it offends you greatly when I blah, blah, blah. And maybe I need to change the way that I respond to you because it offends you, because your culture is so much different than mine. I've shared with you in the past some things that we had to learn when we were living overseas. Don't do this hand gesture. You don't say this word. Why? Because in their culture, it's offensive. It's the same thing when someone comes here. They, they carry their culture with them. And if you want to show them the love of Christ and be gracious to them, you need to come to understand who they are, the way that they live their life, and why they live the way that they do. And then finally, the last one is the justice principle. And uh, I wanted to focus on this for just a little bit. We talked a few weeks ago about justice. And before I get there, let me give you this. Hospitality, this was, this was out of one of the writings. Hospitality comes from the word, the Greek word, philoxenia. If you know anything about linguistics or languages, you might be able to see that that Greek word is a compound word, philo, 
Xenia. Does anybody have a guess at what that might be? Something to do with brotherly or brothers. Okay. Have you heard the term xenophobic? Yes. Recently? Same root word as xenia. Xenophobic is being afraid of another person for who they are. In other words, I don't like your culture because you're different from me, so I'm xenophobic towards you. Okay? Philoxenia means love of strangers. And it is the Greek word from which we then translate hospitality. So when you are being hospitable towards somebody, when you're showing them welcome and love and compassion, you're loving them even though they are a stranger to you. Another term that came out in my studies this week, weekend actually, was the quartet of the vulnerable. What do you think that could be? The quartet of the vulnerable. Obviously it's four things. Four things that are vulnerable. Widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. And we don't have time this morning to go through all the different scriptures, but there are lots of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the way you treat refugees, the way you treat immigrants, the alien among you is the way some of the translations read it. But the quartet of the vulnerable, widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. And there was a, a paper that I read titled, What is Biblical Justice? It was excerpted from a book called Generous Justice by Timothy Keller. It was published in, I don't remember what, web, what website magazine it was published in, but primary justice versus rectifying justice was part of his uh, argument about the way we treat people and the way we respond and do what is right and appropriate. And he used these two Hebrew words. And I have shared these two Hebrew words with you in days past. The first one is called tzedakah. The second one is mishpat. Mishpat is the one you've heard most recently, just a few weeks ago. Tzedakah, if you don't remember, is living your life in such a way um, that you treat all people, family or non-family, with fairness generosity and equity. Doing acts of tzedakah, doing acts of blessing, doing acts of kindness, doing acts of justice. Because if you remember, justice is not just punishing or, or, or setting consequences up for actions, but justice is also doing, giving a person their due. Justice is, if the, it, all, in, our, in our Constitution it says, all men are created equal, they have the same rights, endowed to them by their uh, creator, that's the idea of mishpat. Everyone gets their due. Okay, this idea of justice. And so, um, primary justice, rectifying justice. Primary justice is behavior that, if it was prevalent in the world, it would render rectifying justice unnecessary. Because everyone would be living in right relationship with everyone else. So you'd never have to make it right because you'd already be doing it right in every case. 
That's tzedakah. That's living a life where you pour out blessings and blessings and blessings on the people you come in contact with. Let me give you a for instance out of our own world. And I'm going to pick on my friend who's sitting over here who just got a new job and will be starting on Wednesday in her new job. She's going to be meeting with people who didn't follow the rules, who are angry with her because the system is failing them because they didn't follow the rules. As a Christian, excuse me, as an employee of the state, she has every right to look at that person and say, you were stupid, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and therefore you pay the penalty, come back in six months. She has every right to say that. But as a Christian, this dual citizenship, what would be the just or tzedakah way of responding? I'm terribly sorry that you're in this way, in this in this situation. And I understand the pain you're going through and the anxiety and the fear you're going through. And believe me, if there was anything I could do to change the rules, I would do it. But I'm bound in the same way that you're bound. We're all bound by these laws that we have to follow. And so let me give you some options. Now, she didn't change the rules. She didn't give them something they weren't allowed to get, but at the same time, she didn't go, hey, you broke the rules up, there you go. Consequences for the actions. See the difference? And that's how we live our lives, with grace, with compassion, with love. Or, we can be like the rest of the world, the rules, the rules, the rules. Consequences for not following the rules. And so, this idea of of, recti- of primary justice is do it the right way the first time. Treat everybody the way they're supposed to be treated. Love on them. Care for them. Do the best that you can for them. Because if you do, then you don't have to go back and make it right later. And they won't be doing anything wrong towards you because you have a good relationship with them. Now, this rectifying justice, this is if you're trying to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call to justice are inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity, social concern, and especially doing these things towards the poor and the vulnerable. So, we've talked a lot about what's going on in the world, the problem that the the world is facing, different ways that we can approach it. Now the, the, the action step for us today is, what do I take from here? What, what can I do in these coming days when people start talking to me about what's going on? Because I could very easily say, well, I live in Fairbanks, Alaska. It doesn't affect my life. Or I could say, you know what? My pastor talked about this yesterday in church. And let me share with you some of the things I've been chewing on for the last 24 hours. What's a Christian to do? Number one, pray, 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 pray. Why? As I said at the beginning, this is a spiritual battle. The enemy does not want to give up territory that the enemy owns. And the kingdom of God is advancing. And the enemy doesn't like it. And so you need to pray against the enemy. You also need to pray for the president. And you need to pray for the Department of Homeland Security Director. And you need to pray for the Secretary of State. And you need to pray for the Attorney General. And all of the people that work with them 
as they put together this plan. And you need to pray for the people standing on the street corner screaming, Refugees are welcome here! Refugees are welcome here! Why? Because their hearts need to be softened as well. Because we do not need rioting in the streets of the United States of America. And you need to pray for the police officers and the immigration officers and the TSA officials who are holding people back, who are very upset because they thought they were finally free and now you're telling me I had to go back to where my life is in jeopardy? And you've got to deal with the people who are on the other side of the fence who are screaming, Daddy, 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 Daddy! You need to pray, folks. Because this is a bad situation on all sides. And the people who are in charge, who were elected, who are now being confirmed into their roles, are having to come up with a plan. Well, wouldn't it be good if it was a godly plan? How does that happen? You get on your face before God and you lift them up so that God will impart wisdom to them and discernment to them. Because I guarantee you the enemy is doing everything he can to, to confuse and cause problems and bring about poor ideas. You need to be on your face Number two, what can you do? Give. There are compassionate ministry programs. The Nazarene Compassionate Ministry, NCM, Refugee and Immigrant Support Fund. If you wanted to, right now, you could pull out your purse, your wallet, or your checkbook, and you could make a $50 donation to the NCM Refugee Immigrant Net Support Fund by simply saying, Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene, $50, and in the memo line put, Refugee. And Tanya, our treasurer, would send it off and it would help to support the people who are on the other side of the pipeline. Who are stuck in refugee camps. Who are stuck separated from families. That's one thing you can do. I can tell you another thing. Do you knit? Oh look, we have somebody knitting in our room right now. If you knit and you love to knit, Kansas City has a knitting circle that are knitting clothes for refugees who are coming from Africa and Middle Eastern areas to the United States where it's cold. And they're knitting free sweaters and free jackets and free clothing. And so you could knit something and send it to Kansas City. Because there's a spot right there where they're going to make sure that the refugees get that. So there are lots of things you can do. And if you say, well, yeah, but that's there. This isn't, that's not here. Well, guess what, folks? In Anchorage, Catholic Social Services is the point of contact for any refugee work here in Alaska. And you may not think that we have refugees here, but as I've already shared with you, we do. We have people who have immigrated here for various reasons. And they need help too. So pray, give, physically get involved, educate yourself, take the time to read so that you can speak intelligently to your neighbors when they're giving junk that they read off the internet. Or they read on their Facebook page. And you can speak intelligently to them about what's going on in the world and your Christian perspective on it. And then you can make decisions about how you choose to live your life in a way that advances the kingdom of God but shows love and compassion to the people that you don't necessarily know or understand. Believe me, in the last 24 hours, God has taken me on this really incredible soul-searching change of heart and perspective, really and truly. I'm not saying that everything's changed. I'm not saying that everything was bad. But there was some stuff in there that was not God-honoring and Christ-like. 
And the Lord has talked to me about it. I think we've resolved it. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. Look at your own heart. Look at your own worldview. Look at your own life and the way that you live. And see what parts of the things we've talked about today don't line up with the way you're living right now. And if there is something like that, get on your face before God and confess and repent. And then ask Him what He expects from you. It may simply be that He wants you to pray. It may be that He wants you to go. He may be calling you to go down to some place, or even to the Middle East, some place to work in a refugee camp someplace. Who knows what God is going to do? But you just need to be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and find ways that you can advance the kingdom of God and fight against the spiritual battle that's going on for the hearts and minds of the people of this, of this country. Let's pray.